Hey there, Slump Busters. It's Juju Talk Sports, and it's time for episode 81, the first Slump Buster podcast of 2021. I'm joined today by John Sagul of Sports Talk Chicago. We talked the Bears playoff chances, Money Mitch Trubisky, his future in Chicago. We talked the last dance, Cubs, White Sox, everything Chi Town except Kanye West. Before we get in the episode, folks, of course, we got to give a shout out to the best sponsors in podcasting, our sponsors. Starting first with the number one in men's grooming, that is going to be manscaped.com. Now, manscaped, let me tell you folks, if you missed out on the Christmas gifts, you might as well start this new year with a new year resolution to have the perfect package. I'm telling you, the lawnmower 3.0 is the perfect start to the new holiday, the new year, a new decade, going to the 2020s, looking your best, smelling your best with the crop preserver, tons of fantastic merchandise and if you use promo code slump 20 percent off plus free shipping and handling on all of it don't be a chump use promo code slump like i said perfect package 2.0 the lawnmower 3.0 the boxer briefs anti-chafing most comfortable underwear on the market can't get enough of it manscape.com promo code slump save 20 percent off but you can use promo code slump to save yourself even more money Go to cavemancoffeeco.com, cavemancoffeeco.com to get yourself some of their nitro cold brew, their hibiscus teas, the perfect refreshments, the perfect way to boost your morning. Albuquerque, New Mexico-based company. This podcast brought to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico-based products ourselves. Can't get enough of it. Cavemancoffeeco.com, promo code SLUMP. And finally, folks, let me tell you about Razor Sport. Razor Sport is the perfect tool to help you beat Vegas. We have the college football playoffs. We have NFL action. Their team of handicappers and sports betting experts is the ultimate resource to making sure that you will have the information you need to win some money and start this year off on the right note. Razorsport.com, R-A-Z-E-R, sport.com. Free trials get started and you will not regret checking out Razor BetRazor, R-A-Z-E-R, sport.com. That'll do it, folks. It's time for episode 81. It's time to welcome on John, and it's time to hashtag bust the slump. Enjoy. Quiet on the set. Make sure my mic is on. There is Dre and Juju Dog diving towards the pylon. Go for two, so damn rude. Recognize authority. Spitting tips for fantasy. No way you're outscoring me. Bold predictions with conviction every single day. Sports addiction, no restriction. Kicking game like Pele. He's the greatest. What's the basis? Pick an athlete. Let's debate this game. Outrageous trading places. Sudden death, take 10 paces. Turn and shoot. Boys of truth. Mamba mentality. Future greats take their place. Dreams become reality. Low and outside, knocked it out the park. Your boy discovered fire like a rock with a spark. Refs acting like Neanderthals. Phantom flags, nothing calls. Heartbreak losses, tragic falls. Every week, discuss it all. Settle in, listen up. Free of time like Andrew Luck. Show's about to start. I suggest you buckle up. Hey, Slump Busters. It is time for episode 81 of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Tax Sports, and we are joined today by John Zagul. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. All right. Well, you know, one of the things that obviously I, I mentioned, it kind of caught my attention. You are the lone 
Mitch Trubisky truther that I have seen on Facebook, and I appreciate your work. But another thing that caught my attention, I got to say, I really admire your radio voice. Uh, people said I had radio voice. That's what kind of got me into doing podcasting. But you, my friend, I love that kind of like old school vibe you got. So is that learned? Is that developed? Or do you, do you have to go to into the shop? Did you have to go Howard Stern private parts with it? <laughs> Just been developed, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, over the years when I grew up and to this day, I love your big syndicated radio host, Dan Patrick, Colin Cowherd, um, Rich Eisen. I listen to those guys a lot. I listen to local radio a lot. I, you know, it must have just developed. Over the past five years, they've given me pretty big impression on my head and when it comes to my voice. So I, I would have to say that's probably how it all started and how it developed there. Yeah, it's a very measured way of speaking. Like you really put thought into like the next sentence structure that you're going to put out there. And I, I appreciate it, especially when you're talking about, again, going back to it, Mitch Trubisky, what's going on with the Bears? But at least you have some good news recently. You got this hot streak going on for the Bears. They had that rough stretch where they lost six in a row. And now they're putting up 30 points consistently over the last four weeks. And one of your main arguments I noticed was, hey, yes, you could say it's an easy part of their schedule. But this is historically good for that offense. So I want you to talk a little bit about what's going on in Chicago. Why is it that Mitch Trubisky has just suddenly found it? That's a great question. I mean, we did see the play calling shift, right? We know that Bill Lazor now is supposedly calling plays over Matt Nagy, but if you did see the Bears game on Sunday and you saw the Cole Komet end around on first down, I would have to think that was a Nagy play, but I digress. That really helped Mitch. Some people have said the benching helped Mitch. I don't know if that's true because I think it was unfair to begin with, but maybe it did. Maybe it lit a fire under him and he thought, you know what? This is wrong. I'm going to use this for fuel and be better. As you alluded to, this hasn't happened since 1965. Let me say that again. This entire stretch of offense has not happened since 1965. And people could sit here and degrade it like they have. My argument has been this. You could degrade it, but that by, by saying that, what you're saying essentially is that the Bears have never had this easy of a four-game stretch from 1965 to today. That is so false and so untrue. you got to be kidding me. That this year, this one year, just out of the blue, they have this easy four-game stretch and they're putting up all these points. Mitch looks better. Mitch is a good quarterback, in my opinion. I'm not, I'm not going to say he's a top 15, you know, ranked quarterback. The guys who were drafted behind him are still obviously better. I'd rather have Deshaun Watson. I'd rather have Pat Mahomes than Mitch Trubisky. But he doesn't get enough credit. He should be. And that's where I come in. And that's where a lot of other people come in. Uh, you know, Mike North, great radio personality. He's been all over this from the beginning. Mike Harmon, he hosts on Fox Sports Radio. I just talked to him. He's been on this from the beginning. There are some of us. There just aren't many of us. So I'm happy with where he is right now. Like you said, it's probably the biggest thing that gets held against Mitch Trubisky is the guys who are drafted behind him, Deshaun and Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, one's already a Super Bowl champion, an MVP. Deshaun, most people at least put him at that tier. If you look at his statistics compared to the team, he's been playing at an MVP level. When it comes to Mitch, obviously, we had the benching. And it was odd because, obviously, Nick Foles, really, he only has a three-game stretch to his name. Let's be honest about that. That playoff run, which is amazing. But if you look at his career, he hasn't finished a season. He's um, been a fairly average quarterback aside from that 27-2 and two season that he was able to put up his first year in Philadelphia. Um, when it comes to Mitch Trubisky, and I've been harsh on him, I, I, I look at him at the arm talent, it doesn't really like uh, wow me for like a Chicago based quarterback. But again, no arguing with the results we've seen. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about Mitch um, and the media gets wrong about him? 
that he's a boss and that he makes decision after decision that are mistakes and bad. I see this so many times. And I saw this last week in Jacksonville when he threw that pick in the, in the red zone at the end of the second half. Everybody said, you can't be doing this. This is horrible. Did it affect the game? No. The Bears ended up scoring. In the second half, they, they scored 30 points. They put the game away. I feel like the biggest misconception is that people just find ways. They, they sit on their phones. They're, they're watching the game, live Twitter. And the minute there's a bad throw, this was horrible. Sad. Or that was a near interception. Sad. And it's been happening for his entire career. You know, Patrick Mahomes threw a pick in the red zone last weekend. I didn't hear anyone say anything about it. In fact, the only way I found out about it was me looking around, you know, look around at each NFL game and, you know, look at some highlights. Too. That's the only way I knew about it. No one said anything about it. What it is is people just come after him a bit too much. They, they find ways to tear him down and no one wants to give him credit, which I don't understand. I mean, the guy's winning. It'd be different if he was doing all this and the Bears were 0-4, 0-5 in this stretch. But ever since the change has been made back to Mitch, the Bears all of a sudden could be a playoff team I think there needs to be some credit given to Mitch there I understand all about defending a quarterback that I believe it is a starting level you can see the Niners helmet in the background I have to die on a hill for Jimmy Garoppolo week after week obviously Mitch we already know that his fifth year option wasn't picked up by the team there's a lot of that draft class because uh aside from Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson it was actually a pretty rough first round draft class Solomon Thomas for the Niners as well (laughs) Um, When it comes to the future at quarterback, though, for the Chicago Bears, do you think it's them bringing back Mitch? Do you think it's them looking into this draft, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, some of the names thrown around? Or do you think it's going out there and acquiring a veteran like a Jimmy Garoppolo? A lot will be determined after this Sunday. And I hate to say that. I hate this all to be coming down to one game. But unfortunately, that is what's probably going to happen. If the Bears win, they beat the Packers, they get in. Who knows what happens in the playoffs? Maybe they go far. Who knows? But if they beat the Packers to get into the postseason, I have a hard time seeing the Bears just saying goodbye. Now, that said, if Mitch wants to leave, I don't blame him, too. He's been treated unfairly. Not a horrible quarterback. He could start in a few low-level places. He could back up for anybody in the NFL. could be one of the best backups in the game. So I think that's also something to take into consideration. My recommendation, I just did a video on this. It's coming out later today. My recommendation is they keep Trubisky on a one-year prove-it deal. One year, 10 to 15 million. Don't franchise tag him because he's not worth $30 million. I'll be honest. I love Trubisky, but he's not worth $30 million. And I want to see him play with Bill Lazor for a full year. No switching back and forth. No threatening him by taking him out for Nick Foles. Tell him from the get-go, you are the starter. You get a one-year, $10 million deal. You get to work with Bill Lazor. Prove it. That's it. That's what I want to see happen. But I think all of this will come down to this game this weekend versus Green Bay. Whether that be fair or not, I mean, you know, that's up to you to decide. I don't think it is because he's put together a pretty good stretch. And it'd be unfair to say, well, they went eight and eight. Mitch should be gone. They lost that last game. But I think that's going to be a big storyline that we're going to see through this week and after based on the result of the game. If I'm not mistaken, has the Packers already locked up the one seed? They have not. They have something to play for. So that could also be an issue. You know, people were saying if the Packers lock it up, they're going to rest everybody. People don't understand, man. This is Packers Bears. No one wants to concede and just say, you know what? Yeah, we got nothing to do. I'll let you win. The Packers play 10 times harder when they face the Bears versus any other team and vice versa. Same for the Bears. Whether they locked it up or not, in my opinion, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. They haven't locked it up. So I think it's going to be 10 times harder now for this team to get in. Are you satisfied, though? I saw an epic rant from Big Cat, who's also covers a lot of Chicago Bears a couple weeks ago. Are you satisfied this game at least isn't on primetime? Because 
that's been a spot the Bears have struggled in the last couple of You seasons. know, I don't really have a preference either way. I would have liked it to stay at noon because I, I like watching football at noon, but the three o'clock window isn't bad. I don't know if that's going to be America's game of the week. They got Kevin Burkhart calling it, but primetime or not, I feel like the pressure will stay the same. It's still a win in your in scenario, whether it's in primetime or whether you know it's eight o'clock on a Saturday, whatever it might be, it doesn't really matter. The pressure is still there. The results still need to happen. Trubisky's career, Nagy's career, Pace's career could all be on the line. I think that's enough pressure, primetime or not, to, to have to take into consideration. Okay, well, we talked enough about Mitch, but you mentioned those other two guys there. So Nagy and Pace. Now, Nagy, coach of the year a couple of years ago um, from the Andy Reid coaching tree, which is a very successful coaching tree. But he made the conscious decision, of course, to give up play calling, which is odd for a guy that touts himself as an offensive genius and offensive guru. Um, Bill Lazor obviously also comes from that Kansas City scheme. What do you make of Matt Nagy? Is he a good coach? Where do you put him on the coaching um, rankings yourself? I think he's a competent coach. For sure. Competent. I'm not going to say he's excellent. I'm not going to say he's horrible. He's competent. 2018, he came in, revamped the whole thing. Bears win 12 games. That proved he does have some talent coaching. The problem is last year, people figured him out. He may succeed because his argument's going to be, I didn't have a quarterback. So his argument will be, well, you know, if you give me the right quarterback, I'll win. That shouldn't be right. You should, if you're a coach, conform to the quarterback, not the other way around. But that's going to be his out. So he will get another job. He's a competent coach. I have no issue with him. I mean, a lot of other people want his head on a stick and they want him gone. But you can't argue, unfortunately, with the winning record, right? That the Bears were... 12 and four, eight and eight. Now they're eight and seven. Even if they go eight and eight, they haven't had a losing season under him. He may not be the best coach in the world, but he's certainly not the worst. So I, I can understand why the Bears would retain him. And as for Ryan Pace, he's made a couple of very, very, very bad picks, especially in the first round. Kevin White. You know, some people say, oh, it was injuries. You know what? Doesn't excuse it. That was a horrible pick. Mitch Trubisky. I love Mitch, but they shouldn't have taken him. They should have taken Deshaun Watson. That said, he also gets good picks. Roquan Smith, great pick. Darnell Mooney, great pick. David Montgomery in the late rounds, great pick. He had home runs a couple of times, but the other times he strikes out. Unfortunately, he's striking out on some very important picks, and those tend to outweigh what he's done in the late rounds. That's why people have a negative perception on him. Okay, so it goes a little bit of Anthony Rizzo with it, basically. Okay, well, with Ryan Pace, of course, yeah, that is kind of the big bugaboo there. Obviously, again, Mitch is the big outlier that people are going to use against him when it comes to staying with him. Would you see a potential for them to move move off of one of these guys and keep the other, such as move off Pace, keep Nagy, or vice versa? I could totally see that happening. There are a number of ways in which that could happen. Nagy could stay and... He could say, look at what we did under me. I was selfless. I gave up play calling. Pace was the one who signed Nick Foles. I didn't want him, and, you know, they'll, they'll keep him around. I could see uh, Pace staying, too, um, in a sense, and he would use his draft resume. He'd say, hey, I got a couple of great finds. We, the, the running back that we have right now is because of me. A couple of the receivers we have right now is because of me. Our defense is because of me, Roquan Smith, Khalil Mack, the Khalil Mack trade. I could totally see one or the other staying. I could see them both gone. I could see them both staying. Unfortunately, time will only tell. You know, this weekend, I, I can't state this enough, this weekend will be a big game. And the playoffs, if the Bears get in, that will be a big test. I mean, the only way everybody stays, of course, is if they win the Super Bowl, but they're not a Super Bowl caliber team yet. They, they could if they beat the Packers and they get on a run and here we go. So yeah, there are a lot of questions still to be answered and only time's going to tell as to who stays and who leaves and what happens to this team. 
I don't think a lot of people put them at that Super Bowl tier. You're right on that regard. But do we see them as a team that can at least pull down a playoff win? Right now, they can be as high as the sixth seed potentially after this weekend, which would either have them going into Seattle or into New Orleans. I could see that happening easily. Seattle only has Russell Wilson. They live and die on Russell Wilson. The Bears, if their offense stays at this pace, they'll carve up Seattle's defense and they can make it a game. Same with New Orleans. I love Drew Brees. Huge fan. He's old. He's old. His arm is not as strong as it was before. And if the Bears defense can just step up versus Alvin Kamara, that could be a close game too. I don't know if the Bears are going to win either of those games, but for people saying it's going to be a blowout if the Bears get in, not necessarily the case. I think it could be close and maybe the Bears somehow, you know, bounce the football here or there. They pull it off. I could see it happening. Well, I know plenty of Chicago sports fans, Chicago Bears fans more specifically, that will be very pleased at this discussion we just had. But you do consider yourself just a Chicago sports host in general. So let's kind of get into some more subjects in that regard. Obviously, this past summer, we had the Last Dance documentary come out. Michael Jordan, the 90s Bulls. Fun nostalgia for a lot of us. In fact, a great for our generation here specifically, because let's face it, we never got to see live Jordan. We didn't get to see the flu game, which turned out to be a food poisoning game, as it (laughs) so turns out. But we missed all these great moments. So how did you feel watching The Last Dance for the first time? I loved it. I mean, I was captivated. And, you know, it was almost a family affair. Each Sunday it would come on. We would always watch the rerun. We wouldn't even watch it live. We'd wait till like 11 at night when they rerun it on ESPN2 or ESPN. So it was really fun to sit there and kind of get that commentary on the side for my dad. Like, oh, I remember this. Or, you know, I was I was there when this happened. I remember when all this stuff happened. At the same time, though, to see that was amazing. I mean, yeah, I'm a Bulls guy. Yeah, I'm in Chicago. I've never seen them that good. <laughs> Maybe the Derrick Rosier, you you can argue the year in which they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But today, the Bulls suck. They're horrible. No one even watches them. So to see and to understand that, wow, at one point, they were a national phenomenon. They were an international phenomenon. They were a Chicago phenomenon. It was pretty cool for me to see that and to know that, hey, at one point, this team was great. And maybe they could get to that point again if this rebuild goes okay. Any particular scene or episode that you key on as a must-watch I mean, the last one was good, and I know that's cliche, but it tied everything up so well. I I like the way it all ended, and it's unfortunate, really unfortunate, that that team couldn't come back for one more year, especially, you know, I I get at the beginning of the year, you know, oh, this is it, this is it, but who would have thought they would have won a championship again, you know? And when you win a championship again, you have to throw your preconceptions out the window. So I I think the Bulls, they they should have thrown their preconceptions out the window and said, you know what, we'll do it for one more year. You guys won a championship. We put an ultimatum on you. But, you know, unfortunately, it didn't happen. That said, it was was a very, very interesting, emotional, fun-to-watch last episode, no question. It's funny watching that because there is such a turn of events when you start the first episode keys in on Scottie Pippen, making Scottie Pippen a very sympathetic character, talking about his contract. And as the show goes on, um, and Scotty's had something to say about this, Jordan's had something to say about this, um, how he was portrayed, whether it be the contract dispute, sitting out some games, sitting out the offseason, or whether it be, um, in fact, that one game in which the migraine game, the um, game in which he uh, just, I'm not taking the last shot. Well, fine, I'm going to sit on the bench. And by the end of it, a lot of people looked at Scotty Pippen as the villain. What was your views of Scotty Pippen after the last dance? As you said correctly, in the beginning, in the beginning, I felt bad for him. The contract situation was horrible. Should have had a better agent. Man, imagine if he played in the NBA today. That wouldn't even fly. But 
towards the middle, towards the end. And of course, I didn't watch Scotty play. You know, I, I don't know him personally, so I'm not going to say he's a bad guy or whatever, but I didn't like that move. Oh, I'm not taking the last shot. I'm going to sit down. That really didn't make him look good. That said, we have to think about, okay, this is Michael Jordan telling the story. If Scottie Pippen were telling the story, how would it be different? Would he be trashing Michael Jordan? Possibly, because it seemed like to me as things move forward, a lot of the hate and blame and all kinds of stuff was placed on Scotty. Some of it could have been true, some of it not. But we just have to remember, hey, who's telling the story? Who was commissioned to make this documentary? It was Michael Jordan and ESPN and whomever else was involved. So Scotty was portrayed as a villain. Maybe some of it was true, but I always keep in the back of my head, there are two sides to every story. I'd love to hear Scotty's. I'd love for him to make a two or three part documentary and, you know, talk about what he saw from those years. Then it'd be accurate to say, Scotty was bad. Michael was good. Or Michael was bad. Scotty was good. Hey, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another 90s Bulls documentary. LeBron won another title. Obviously that was the motivator behind this last one. And of course that is the still ringing debate. Um, When it comes to the Bulls though, you mentioned it. They've still been bad. They've been bad going back to Jordan. They had that one run in which Derrick Rose was phenomenal, MVP, an outlier amongst years of just LeBron after LeBron after LeBron, followed by um, kind of a weird MVP shuffle. But either way, I'll digress. What is it that the Bulls have been missing? Do you think of this as just a bad organization aside from Jordan? Because if you go back to the last dance, Jordan mentioned when he walked in there, it was an absolute mess. It was a shit show. And then when he walked out, nothing much seemed to have changed. I wouldn't say that only because the Bulls have legends besides Michael Jordan. Long before Michael Jordan, Artis Gilmore, Bob Love, Norm Van Leer. Um, The Bulls did a good thing recently, something that we haven't seen in a while, where they actually made a change. They they actually got rid of uh, Paxson and and Gar Foreman. They brought in a a proven veteran, great GM. I'm not going to say the organization is dysfunctional. It wasn't good under the old management, but consciously they made a decision to bring in somebody new to bring in new ideas. And I like that. I give them so much credit, so much respect for that. You know, the organization has had its ups and downs, no question. But the times in which they've been good have definitely been historic. Historic for basketball, historic for Chicago sports. Whether it be, like I said, in the 60s, obviously Michael Jordan, the Derrick Rose era. That was a big deal here, that the Bulls got the number one overall pick. So there have been good moments. There have been a lot of bad ones, too. And if you look back at probably every organization in sports, I mean, you, you could say the same thing for so many other teams, too. So I don't think the organization is bad or dysfunctional or they've been wrong so many times. I just think it's a matter of getting the right people to manage and steer the ship. And over time, in certain periods, the Bulls have done that and they've had success. Well, I really like the Billy Donovan hire. I really do like that one a lot because Billy Donovan, going back to, of course, his time in college with the Florida Gators National Championship back-to-back years, he knows how to work with a young roster, a young team. You saw that last year with the OKC Thunder. A lot of people had the OKC Thunder as a lottery team out the gate. And with Chris Paul, the veteran leader there, Billy Donvin guiding and mentoring the younger athletes. They ended up being a competitive team. They were in many of those games against Houston in the playoffs. That was quite the still there. Why is it that the Bulls have been unable to get that marquee free agent? Whenever free agency discussions seem to happen, I don't hear a lot of Bulls discussion. I hear Miami. I hear the Lakers. We hear the Knicks, even though the Knicks, we hear them and we get a lot of fake jerseys made in their name. But 
the Bulls, this is a, like you mentioned, it's a franchise that has had its history. It's had its highs. Do you think there's honestly a fear of stepping into Michael Jordan's house if you're a superstar, like let's say LeBron James? I don't know if that's it. They just haven't been in a position, unfortunately. And when they spend their money, at least in the past, they've spent it poorly. I mean, they, they signed Carlos Boozer, for example, to a big contract. That year, they were also thinking about, instead of getting Boozer, spreading the wealth amongst three different players, two of which would have been David Lee and J.J. Redick. That would have been a, a great combo for that team. Superstars look at Chicago. I, I mean, I know Ka- Kawhi Leonard said, oh, it's too cold or, you know, whatever. And I'm sure that could be a consideration. But also, people saw the team as a joke, just like people see the Knicks do now. They had bad management. You know, they, they weren't committed to change. They always had weird and rookie head coaches, despite, you know, a few, Thibodeau and uh, Phil Jackson going, going back, Doug Collins. But, you know, who wants to play for Fred Hoiberg? Who wants to play for Jim Boylet? You know, th- those things made a difference. And the last time the Bulls were good, the NBA was a much different game. The superstars didn't command the power that they have today. 2010 to 2020 in the NBA, seismic shift. 3-3-3 and no defense and, you know, 40 million per player. The Bulls have yet to become a part of this era. That's my take. They're not there yet. They were in 2010, but the game's a lot different today. So I think once they fully embrace it, once the rebuild finishes up, you'll see the Bulls in the market for a lot of big names. They need to be because end of the day, when it comes to the NBA, stars win championships and Zach Levine, I like him. He's good for a fun dunk contest, but he's not a superstar. And I think that's a bigger problem with the NBA because I feel we've been hit a point. You mentioned stars command a lot of money, but we're paying non-stars a lot of money too. Like Zach Levine, the fact he's gained even considered as the max level athlete, again, quality player, not a great player, not a star player. Shouldn't command star money. And I think that that's a bigger issue that a lot of people have with the NBA. Well, let's settle this here. Cubs or White Sox? Um, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> where where do you loyalties lie? Are you on the south side of Chicago? <laughs> are you with the most cursed franchise up until four years ago? I'm on the south side of Chicago, uh, you know, in the suburb. I grew up a Cubs fan. But today, I'm really nothing, to be honest with you. I'm nothing. I have been so disgusted with what they've done. I didn't even like the World Series team. I've been told many people this. I didn't like the World Series team. My favorite Cubs team was 07 and 08. And 2016, it felt like it was forced. And it was. You know, you know we got to win a championship. I understand that. But I liked that 07 08 team. There weren't many expectations around them. They won. They had so many fun, loving personalities and good guys. And, you know, the new team's like, okay, you know, new age, youth, you know, sabermetrics and, we're going to do this and that. And I don't know, it took the fun out of it for me. And ever since then, I've kind of distanced myself more and more. That said, love the U Darvish trade. Love what they're doing. I wish them well. You know, I've distanced myself from the Cubs. I guess you could call me leaning Cubs, leaning Cubs, but not full Cubs. 0708, wasn't that the Zambrano year, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, he, he was a stud. Okay, yeah. I saw they moved on from Theo Epstein a couple weeks ago, or Theo Epstein moved on from them. Do you think that the Cubs have what it takes in this next phase of transition to get back to a World Series contender? 100%. Only because the man who's running the Cubs now was the man who was under Theo Epstein. So he was there, Jed Hoyer, when the Cubs initiated the first rebuild, won the World Series. The guy has a ring. Who's to say he can't do it again, in my opinion? And they made a very unpopular decision. You go on Twitter, you go on social media, you'll see everybody complaining about it. I liked it. I loved it. You know what? Stop lying to everybody and everybody else. Stop being delusional. This team sucks. 
This team is horrible. They've been bad. The day after they won the World Series, they've been going down and down and down. It's time to rebuild. It's time to be honest with yourself, which I thought I think they are now. And it's time to think, you know what? We're going to sacrifice winning today by 2024, 2025. We'll be there again. That's why I liked it. And I think if they make the right decisions here and they play their cards right, they could definitely be another World Series contender by that time. You guys haven't handed Chris Bryant that 10-year contract yet, have you? No, but I hope they don't because I am not a Chris Bryant fan. People laud Bryant as this superstar. Tell me what he's done since 2016. Not much. And I posted that video on Twitter and everybody got so mad, but it's true. I mean, what has he done since 2016? Win a World Series, win an MVP that year. Ever since, it's been, eh, been average, really. And again, people don't want to acknowledge it. People don't like to hear the truth, unfortunately. And that's where they are. I hope they trade him. I hope they get rid of him. They better not sign him to an extension. That'd be a huge waste of money. His batting average has declined in recent years. He's a power hitter, but pretty much the entirety of baseball is filled with power hitters. It's a home run strikeout league at this point. I would say, though, for that other Chicago team, the White Sox, a little bit closer to competing. Uh, Obviously, they were in the playoffs last year. You know, they, they pulled up, if I'm not mistaken, two games on the A's before giving it up. Um, do you think that that's a team that we could see as a dark horse contender out of the AL this year? They're a real contender. They're not just a dark horse. I think they're going to be a real contender. I mean, they have gone so long with this rebuild. They haven't made the playoffs since 2008. This past year was the first time they made it again. It's been a long, tumultuous, deliberate process. You know, they, they thought they had it before with Robin Ventura. That didn't work. So after all of that, The expectation is kind of, we have to do it now. We have to succeed. We have to be a World Series contender. They have the roster to do it. They could have one more pitcher. They're set, in my opinion. They need one more good starting pitcher. Their lineup top to bottom is insane. Very good. All of their young guys, for the most part, have panned out. Anderson, um, Onkata, Abreu, they took out of Cuba. No one knew what, what, what he even had. He just won the MVP. There are a lot of guys they rolled the dice on and they've been right on. They made a couple of mistakes. I mean, trading Fernando Tatis Jr., imagine if he was on the team today, but they've done relatively a good job. And this is definitely a year in which they're going to make the playoffs. And I would hope that they start to put things together and move forward. I think that covers all our bases. No pun intended, given we just talked baseball there on Chicago Sports. Short of Blackhawks, but I'll admit, I'm not a hockey guy. I can't really go into it that much. When you come from the desert, the only ICC is uh, once in a blue moon on a December day. This is message brought to you by the Foundation for a Perfect Package. Why do I need Manscaped? Why do I need Manscaped? Why do I need Manscaped? Because the only fruit I want is the one up top. Because being in a relationship is not an excuse to be lazy. Because I like talking ball, not smelling like them. Because deforestation is proven for that forest virus. Manscaped is the only brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped's crop preserver guarantees that you smell your best all day long. Manscaped boxer briefs are the most comfortable underwear on the market. Manscaped's advanced skincare technology makes Nick's a thing of the past. Manscaped is the number one in men's grooming. Subscribers get two free blade refills every three months. Get 20% off plus free shipping handling with the promo code SLUMP at manscaped.com. That's the promo code SLUMP at manscaped.com. 
get your lawnmower 3.0 today. We are the Slump Busters. And we approve this message. Hello guys, this is Juju Talk Sports. You like sports betting, right? Of course you do. Well, let's bust that slump. Let me tell you about Razorsport.com. Razor is a worldwide sports betting network all designed around helping you. Their diverse crew of handicappers produce plays the biggest sharps don't want you to know about. Go to their website right now and sign up for a free trial at Razorsport.com. That's Razor, R-A-Z-E-R, sport.com. Proud partners of the Slump Buster Podcast. Check them out and enjoy the rest of the show. We're recording the last podcast before the new year. On the new year, what makes a lot of people excited, you got a lot of college football, and we got the New Year's games coming up. Uh, Cincinnati is going to be playing here, actually, on New Year's. They're going to be playing against the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, This is a huge opportunity for them. Uh, A lot of people feel that they were underrepresented, being an undefeated team, being consistently in the top 10, but they never managed to crack that top four. In spite of Ohio State, only playing six games this year. Do you think that this is an unfair shake for a Cincinnati team or frankly, any non-Power 5 school if they do everything right and win out? Partially yes, partially no. I understand that argument. And I, I actually agree with parts of it. I mean, they did everything. They somehow played a full year during COVID. They went undefeated. We have to remember the strength of schedule. I mean, you know, Ohio State's in the Big Ten. They're facing pretty primo teams. They're facing non-conference opponents in some cases, you know, years prior, who are really good. So there's an understanding as to why the big schools are getting those top four spots. That said, I'd love to see a smaller school crack the top four or maybe expand the playoffs to six. I'm also okay with that. We need to be representing more schools. And even if they get blown out, let's say it's one versus six and, you know, Alabama blows out Cincinnati or whomever it might be. It means a lot to that program, regardless, the smaller one to be represented, to be on that national stage. I'm sure money would be involved too. Maybe they make some more money. There are reasons to do it. Um, And I think Cincinnati did get kind of an unfair shake. That said, dude, it's COVID. (laughs) I mean, it's COVID. It's so hard to compare 12 win team 12 and 0 to oh they played five games and you know they were trying to have a season they made it and there's so many moving parts i think we should just be grateful there was a season first and foremost that said moving forward you know let's say next year normal and you know we're talking about a legitimate football playoff and everybody playing 12 games well i think a lot of argument why cincinnati could have been in there or why the college football should have done something weird is just because is COVID. It is the opportunity if you want to experiment with stuff. Let's face it, the NBA experimented with the play-in games, the bubble. The NFL was very close to adjusting their playoff scheme as well, should more games have been canceled. MLB, obviously we saw expanded playoff there. I think the problem right now as it currently stands, as you look at those mid-major schools like Cincinnati, like Boise State, like BYU, like Coastal Carolina, and we're in a position where we're telling them they're able to compete for the national title. They go undefeated. They schedule bigger schools. Sometimes they beat them. And then they still don't get considered when we finally do these power rankings at the end of the year. And I think we need to either expand the playoffs to give them an opportunity. We need to have like at-larges. We need to say that they have a realistic opportunity of cracking that top six or that top eight, whatever that playoff structure is. Or another idea that's been presented in recent weeks is the idea of a power five playoff 
and a non-Power 5 playoff. And we have essentially two national champions. And we have those mid-majors have an opportunity to play against each other. When presented with both those ideas, do you lean expansion or do you lean the secondary playoff? Expansion. Um, only because, you know, no one competes for a consolation prize, in my opinion. I, you know, I know times are changing and that's a separate issue. But if I were a school, you know, Cincinnati, UCF, that's been a pretty recent example. And I'm putting all of my time, resources, and energy into a football season only to play for some mid-major championship. I wouldn't be motivated. It wouldn't mean as much to me versus being in the real thing against the real Bulldogs, finding a way to take them down. I'd rather see an expansion to six teams. I don't, I don't even want eight because eight is too much. The difference between number one and number eight is significant. Alabama versus an eight or nine seed, definitely a significant difference. I'm fine with expanding to six. And I don't like that idea only because, like I was saying, the incentives just aren't there. It's a different championship. No one wants to play for a consolation prize. People want the real thing. And people, in some cases, are willing to play the big schools. There are times in which underdogs win. It doesn't happen a lot. But when it does, it makes the story all the more amazing and unbelievable. I'm okay with expansion. I'm not fully on board with the secondary championship. I agree. 15 years later, we're still talking about Boise State. Boise State became a powerhouse in many ways after their upset victories over Oklahoma and some of the other bigger schools that they were able to face um, in the old BCS system. That's why I do want to see, I agree with you, I'm not for the secondary championship because yes, you can even say that technically we have multiple national champions anyway. There's a division two champion. There's a division three champion. We don't pay attention to those. We pay attention to who's holding that big glass trophy at the end of the year. And that's usually been Alabama or Clemson. And I think an opportunity that the college football is underrating by not having an expanded playoff is when you give these schools more exposure and opportunity, it opens them up to recruiting which makes the sport deeper than just two teams competing each year, year in and year out. Because again, Boise State is still good to this day. Why are they still good? Because people remember seeing the blue turf on TV. People remember seeing the Statue of Liberty play, the hook and ladder play that they put on in the Fiesta Bowl. And that's stuck in people's minds. So whenever they go on these recruiting visits, They're like, Boise State, I know they're well-structured. They have a good coaching staff and they'll take care of me and they get on national TV enough to be relevant. Cincinnati, as good as they've been, they haven't had that same opportunity. But if you put them in a bowl game against Notre Dame, even if they got blown out, because Notre Dame's been blown out. We'll talk about that, like who we think they actually win this. But even if they got blown out, it's their opportunity to say, it's at least saying, hey, we got to the college football playoffs. We think if you're part of our team, we can win this thing. And that helps a lot in recruiting because I think even players, they take a little bit of pride in not going to immediately to Alabama or Clemson. If you told them they could get to the NFL going to BYU, they'll still take that opportunity if they just know that they have a level of opportunity as their peers. Yep. Great point. And you don't have to, right, like you said, you don't have to go to Alabama to make it. In the end, as much as we all love college football, this is about the players. This is about their development. This is about, and I make it to the NFL. So we need to find ways to incentivize that. We need to find ways to make it okay for a kid to go to Boise State or to go to Cincinnati and get an opportunity to play at a national level more often to face bigger teams, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, whomever it may be. I'm all for that. And I champion that. That's why, like we were talking about just a moment ago, let's expand the playoff. 
let's incentivize these smaller but really good programs into getting better recruits. And let's find a way to incorporate them in a real championship to get national exposure for people to remember, hey, they were just in the championship. There's some small school. Let me take a look at them. I mean, these are great opportunities for small schools to get some national recognition. Unfortunately, at the moment, that isn't the case. But who's to say it won't change? I support it. Okay, well, let's talk about who we do have in the playoffs real quick. We'll just we'll rapid fire through this. But Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. Is it a foregone conclusion? Is there any opportunity for Notre Dame or Ohio State to crack into that national championship game? I'd love to tell you that I'm an optimist and yeah, it's going to happen. Who knows? I mean, anything could happen. I don't think it will. I think it's going to be Alabama and Clemson again. I really do. I think Alabama is going to win it this time too. That's just my gut feeling. Notre Dame's great program. Brian Kelly's done a great job. They're in the ACC. I mean, you know, a lot of moving parts for them this year. And I I give them a lot of credit. They're not going to take down Alabama, though. I I don't think that's going to happen. Clemson and Ohio State could be interesting. Um, You know, we'll see Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. It'll be really cool. You know, both those guys are going to the draft. It should be fun. That said, I think when it comes down to it, Clemson just has a better roster. You know, a good run game. ETN's still there. They're going to find a way to win that. And in the national championship, I mean, it could be a coin flip, to be honest with you, but I think Alabama's going to pull that one out. I think if you're Justin Fields, your motivation needs to be what happened to Dwayne Haskins this week because you're trying to break that Ohio State stigma. It was a close game last year. I do see opportunity potentially in that game. I hate to say it with Notre Dame. I'd love to give them a chance, but every time we see them match up against these SEC schools, they just can't keep up. Uh, Clemson, obviously a couple weeks ago, With Trevor Lawrence, we saw what a game changer that was. Even without Trevor Lawrence, it was a multiple overtime game. Notre Dame, you got to give it Brian Kelly. He's recruited well over the last few years. He's put this team in a position to where they deserve to be there. They do, frankly. But they just can't keep up with eventual Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, um, when it comes to Mac Jones, uh, whatever you make of him as a prospect. And then they still have a Nick Saban defense. They still have the best coach in college football. That's the problem. Again, going back to the Ohio State-Clemson matchup, um, big difference maker at the top is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Anytime he's in there, you know this team has an opportunity and a shot. Last year against LSU, they were just outgunned by the best offense in college football history. And at a certain point, it's hard to keep up with that. I am actually going to go with the Clemson Redemption Tour. I think they're going to come back and win the national title this year. I do think that although Alabama went through a tough SEC schedule this year, I think it's going to wear on them a little bit. um, And that undefeated record is going to be sullied by the Clemson Tigers. All right, John, well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Great episode. It's great to focus in on just one specific of the major markets like Chicago, Obviously, a very rich sports history there. One question we always ask our guests on the show before we head out, though, is favorite all-time sports movie? Wow. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm a baseball guy. So and if I had to pick one, I'll give you a couple. I can't pick one. Major League is hilarious. Love Charlie Sheen. Rookie of the Year. He picks the Cubs. How could you not like it? And uh, Little Big League. Oh, and the Sandlot, too. I'll throw all four of them in. So I I can't pick one. I'm sorry. But I'll give you four. I love all those four movies. I like how, as you went on, the rating kind of went down. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, you start off with the hard R there with Major League there, and you kind of work into the PG movies from there. But yes, all fantastic choices. I have championed Major League for a while. 
Um, it's going to be weird to watch that movie moving forward, given what we know about the Cleveland Indians. And uh, obviously Chief Wahoo went a long way a few years ago. But uh, yeah, please cancel culture 2020. Don't come after Major League. I love that movie. Charlie Sheen's been canceled enough in the last 10 years. Leave it where it is. We're fine. Tiger Blood winning. Go. <laughs> All right, John. Uh, well, anyway, uh, it is time for the obligatory plugs, what you're working on, where people can find you, all of that good stuff, the ins, the outs, all yours. Well, thank you. Yep. Uh, you can find me anywhere you want at John Z Sports, Twitter, Instagram at uh, John Zaglul on Facebook, J O N Z A G H L O U L. I host on WCKG every day. It's Fox Sports Radio Chicago, 2 to 3 p.m. Central. I uh, come on right after Colin Cowherd and Dan Patrick backs me up. So it's pretty cool. And um, you can find all my work before WCKG to today in the podcast by searching up Sports Talk Chicago wherever you get your podcast. I'm on YouTube at Sports Talk Chicago or go to sportstalkchicago.com to check all that out. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the uh, opportunity for the plugs too. I appreciate it. Well, I feel sorry for Dan Patrick that he has to follow you. It's a tough act to follow there. But guys, speaking of tough acts to follow, at Slump Buster Podcast on IG, at Slump Buster Pod on Twitter. Of course, subscribe to us on all major streaming platforms. Uh, leave a review. We definitely appreciate our five-star reviews, guys. You've been great with that recently. Hit that subscribe button. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. And we'll see you next time.